Hey everybody, producer Ryan here. We had a few technical problems during the recording of this episode, so please excuse the poor audio. We now join Greg midstream. You're at the gym. Honestly, there's a time to smoke and there's a time to run. Uh, in any case, welcome everybody and uh, thank you for coming out. It's nice to be back here in uh, Los Angeles. We was in um, uh, Scottish land and then we was in uh, English land before, uh, right after that. And uh, Scottish land was wild. Uh, so much has changed there since I first went there in uh, uh, the 1500s with the Viking crew. Um, <laughs> They have hot dogs and cold Mexican beer now and shit like that. Uh, they never had anything like that before. Uh, you were left to catch as catch can before. You were offered a cold iron brew and a bag of chips, and uh, that's all changed. And uh, then last night we did a movie podcast, which we're going to start doing here, I think, uh, once a month. I'm over at the Cine Family, and we're going to call it the Greg Proops Film Club. I got another suggestion today. We had a lot of suggestions. Cinema Proop of Deso, uh, <laughs> Proops Loops. I got one of the emails today that was um, a Proop of Lips, a Proop, I can't even say it. I can't even fucking say it. Apocalypse now, which I thought, yeah. yeah. Uh, and all I have to say to that name is, uh, although I do love that movie, and I watched it again on the road a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I, I have a buddy in who shall remain named, and uh, his name is Jeff Davis, and uh, he's appeared on the podcast many times, now appearing on his own. Uh, podcast. Uh, he's friends with Dan Harmon. Uh, Jeff Jeffy Davis is on a uh, podcast called Harmon Town, uh, which is uh, a very entertaining indeed. In any case, uh, he told me that he hated Apocalypse Now because it was um, a pretentious bag of lugubrious fucking bourgeois. Those weren't his exact words. I'm paraphrasing. And uh, then I had to remind him that I'm older than him, that it came out when I was in college, so I thought it was fucking uh, ten ways of goodness um, and five kinds of fucking colored smoke. And uh, we, we've, we've argued about it, uh, uh, and I, I think I maintain that uh, he is both right and I am right. Uh, Apocalypse Now is a plotting, pretentious, uh, overarching, overweening, trying to do everything movie that didn't know when it got started to be made that they were going to ha not have to cover every element of the Vietnam War within a, within a small period, that there were going to be other times that that could happen. Um, if you've ever seen Apocalypse Now, Redukes, or whatever it's called, um, Daisy Duke's version, uh, it, it, there's a lot of added scenes in that don't need to be there at all. When I watched it, I thought, you know what? The original editing was good because it cut out the boring part where we have lunch at a French plantation. Um, not necessary, really, in the middle of a, of an, uh, of a zesty war movie. Uh, in any case, uh, a it's now is even too cute. I can't even say it. It's, it's too cute for me. It's too cute. It's cutesy pie. I think Great Group's Film Club. Anyway, last night we showed With Nail and I, which is an awesome one. And then next, uh, hooray! Next month, I think we're going to go... I think it's going to be The Black Cat. Uh, my wife suggested The Black Cat, and also um, uh, uh, I Walked With a Zombie, a Val Luton festival. We're talking about showing a universal picture called The Bat uh, with Karloff and Lugosi. And the reason why it would be good is... I've never seen it. Um, or no, The Raven, rather. The Raven. Uh, it's from 1935. The reason I want to show it is it's 61 minutes long. And uh, I would like to show that movie to Steven Soderbergh and, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> thank you, uh, uh, Paul Michael Thomas or Glazier, whatever his name is. Uh, I'd like to show it to both Paul Michael Glazier and Paul Michael Thomas and anyone named Thomas. Uh, uh, and all the filmmakers of today to say in 61 minutes if you can't fucking get it done and, and Lugosi fucking freak you out, uh, then you, you need to think about uh, brevity. Really, Greg? 
Uh, you're talking about gravity at the beginning of what you only described as a fucking backwards slalom ride down the Matterhorn in Disneyland when it's corporate fucking night bought out by the Christian youth group. That's what you're talking about, gravity? Yeah, I am. Okay? That's how I fucking roll. Mm. Let's get to what's first first. Uh, Hal David died at the uh, untimely passing of Hal David, uh, um, who is, of course, uh, 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 I was talking to my wife about it, I said, Phyllis Diller passed away. She was 96, was it? Hal, Hal David was 91? Yeah. 92? Um, it, it's not exactly tragic when they die at 92. Uh, it is, of course, expected at a certain point that you will expire. Um, I remember Ann Curry, uh, late of uh, the, uh, the Today Morning Show. Uh, you may remember her. She was the news person on the show. And uh, it reminded me of when, um, uh, I believe it was Britney Spears, was um, at the Library of Congress briefly in the late 90s. And uh, Ann Curry uh, once asked a question. She was interviewing a guy from Cuba, and she said, and he went, well, uh, Castro is the president for life, and she said, but what if Fidel Castro never dies? And uh, it's a metaphysical question that very few journalists have the temerity to ask. Most of us stay fact-based when we're asking questions like that. We don't presume that someone's immortal when we're in the middle of a news interview. She did. Uh, but what about the green liquid that he drinks every morning that's taken from certain monkeys on the islands off of Barbados and, uh, and, and, the, and the boat comes over from Aruba in the dead of night piloted by a skinny man with a wispy mustache who uh, 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 has a tick in his left eye and always rings a bell whenever he's about to land in the dead of night and turns all his eyes, kill those lights! Um, we're taking the monkey juice to Castro! Um, I, I had forgotten all that. Uh, but... Uh, 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 Hal David had passed, and it, it, he is, of course, a swirling, uh, effervescent uh, swath of pink and green bubbles uh, all going through uh, the universe uh, for the last week he has been. Uh, I think he already knew that. What I'm guessing is when Hal David got to heaven, he cracked off an unbelievably terse, rhyming couplet that St. Peter went, Fuck, that's awesome. Get in here. Uh, there's a lot of great opening lines in songs, but I don't think there's any greater opening line in any song than the moment I wake up before I put on my makeup. I say a little prayer for you. That is fucking off the deep end good. Uh, I, I, I'm just surprised Chuck Berry never wrote it. It's so fucking clever and funny and informative. Uh, at work, I just make time, and I'll do my coffee break time. Um, I think everybody remembers the movie uh, that's of a certain age that came out some, what was it, eight, ten years ago? It was called My Best Friend's Wedding. This is when Julia Roberts strode the earth as a mighty Tyrannosaurus. Uh, things have changed since then, and her teeth no longer pack the same threat that they once did. Uh, I'm, not a, I'm not a hater of Julia. Uh, uh, I, I think she's an, act, uh, an actor who's been in movies. Um, some of which were really valid. I loved her for doing Aaron Brockovich, and, uh, and Mona Lisa Smile, which she produced, was a very positive type of picture. Uh, in the movie, uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, it had um, uh, Rupert Everett. Was, it was really his crowning role. And, and Cameron Diaz. And I think the lesson of that movie was don't go up against Cameron Diaz in a comedy because she'll fucking kick your ass and leave you bleeding and go for low-fat soy chai lattes, a huge joint, and Justin Timberlake's man bag. That's what she'll fucking do. So don't even begin to fuck with the camster. Uh, 
she smoked everybody in Charlie's Angels and she smoked fucking Julia in that movie, sadly. But if you remember in that movie, it was like an homage to Burke Bacharach and Hal David. Every two seconds in that movie, the fucking restaurants broke into And everyone knew all the fucking words to say a little prayer for you, by the way, which made it awesome. I, uh, I really like um, a song. I don't know what it's from. It might be from Promises, Promises. Uh, called um, A House Is Not A Home, which has one of the lamer opening lines of Haldane's Hall- a chair is a chair is still a chair, even when there's no one sitting there. But a chair is not a house, and a house is not a home when you're not there. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of up there with the Neil Diamond was. I am, I said, but no one heard at all, not even the chair, leaving me lonely still. That didn't even rhyme or stand, but okay. Uh, uh, but uh, Luther Vandross, if you're uh, not a white person, you will know that <laughs> Luther Vandross did a version of A House Is Not A Home that fucking is like Aretha Franklin's version of I Say A Little Prayer For You. It's off the deep end, fucking gospel, emotional, Patti LaBelle lay on the floor, kicking a drag show, good. Uh, and that one really gets beat up. Um, I happen to really like what Alfie, and, uh, and, and one that I thought he wrote that he didn't fucking write, which is Theme From The Valley Of The Dolls, I think how uh, I think Bert wrote it, but um, I think Henry Previn wrote the word. Or did Henry Previn write the whole fucking thing? Dory. Who was it? Dory, Dory Previn. Fuck me. And uh, and thank you for that. Uh, you needn't fuck me first. Oh, thank you first. Hal <laughs> David would have never said that anyway. He would have said, as he said in the song "Wives and Lovers," "Time to get ready for love," which is even more horrible in a way. Because wives should always be lovers too. Well, I think that's implicit, but okay. <laughs> what is it? Don't meet your. What is your husband with your hair up in curlers? Oh yeah, you can tell when it was written. Time to get ready for love. <laughs> that's kind of scary. That one. He also wrote this one, which is awesome. When Liberty Valance walked along, men would step aside. They'd hide. Because the point of a gun was the only law that Liberty understood. Which isn't in the fucking movie, Liberty Bowers. And the song Alfie is not in the movie Alfie. So what did Burt Backrack and David just go to movies and they go, we should fucking write a theme song for Because they wrote the theme song for hundreds of movies. They wrote Butch Cassidy. They wrote, you know, they wrote fucking movie tracks. But they didn't, Alfie, watch the movie Alfie. You'll never fucking hear the song ever. And it is really good. Um, but the one I was thinking of was Theme from the Valley of the Dolls, right? Because as my friend, my dear friend David Schweitzer uh, from college used to say, it sounds like Dionne Warwick's high and can't remember the lyrics because it goes, Where will I, how will I, when will I? That's a good song about being high in Hollywood. Remember that song from years ago? Why am I always drunk when I'm in LA? Or what? Oh, no. And I'm doing nothing. Uh, yeah, Dionne Warwick uh, beat the shit out of that one. Dionne Warwick beat the shit out of every Backrack and David song. I know there's the Dusty Springfield one and, you know, the, the What the World Needs Now is Love. And that one I always like because you're petitioning God. And I think only a Jewish songwriter would really fucking go there and go like, Lord, we don't need another mountain. Uh-huh. Like, hey, I'm not done yet, okay? My will will be fucking done, all right? I'm hanging the firmament of the universe. If I say there's going to be another mountain, there's going to be another fucking mountain. Um, there are mountains and hills enough to climb. <laughs>
Lord, or whoever you call yourself. Uh, that one I always, we had to hear that a lot when I was little. I mean, I grew up on all these songs. I think that's why I know them. I think people today still know them because they've been in every bloody movie ever since the end of uh, Bloody Time. My, one of my favorite movies of all time, you'll know if you've ever listened to the show, is uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, and they wrote the score uh, to that movie, uh, Bert did, and then Hal wrote the lyrics to Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which is not, I don't think, the pinnacle of his work. I think uh, um, uh, What Do You Get When You Fall in Love might be really close to the top, because uh, what, do you get when you, what do you get when you kiss a guy? You get enough germs to catch pneumonia. After you do, he'll never phone you. Yeah, that's right. I fucking rhymed pneumonia and phone you. And I fucking care that that is a great lyric. But in uh, uh, Raindrops, he says, um, Raindrops keep falling on my head, and just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed. <laughs> I don't remember that guy. <laughs> and I love that fucking movie. Uh, 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 so anyways, uh, he, he, didn't, he, he didn't make it as a songwriter. Again, this is a, a word to the people who think they're not getting started early enough in life. I think he was about 38 or 39 when he finally hooked up with Burt and started fucking having any kind of success at all. He'd written a few other songs. He wrote a song for Perry Como called Magic Moments. Uh, yeah, if anybody remembers that one. Uh, was it the... Something, the fun fair... Yeah, I think someone does remember it. Uh, the fun and the... The fun and the... They went to the fair. There's something... The fun and the prizes. Oh, you have to think... If anybody remembers what Perry Como sang like, that's what makes the fucking song. Perry Como uh, on SCTV, they used to do a sketch where they would do Perry Como still alive in concert. So Perry Como would be lying in a bed, right, with a microphone like this. And then they'd interview everybody after the show, and they'd go, what'd you think of the show? And the guy went, it made me want to stand up and stretch. And I never heard of that one. But that's how Perry Como sang. He was the king of relaxation, man. So this was like, magic. <laughs> moments. <laughs> this is supposed to be a love song, right? <laughs> to a girl that he experienced all these magic moments with. And he went to the fair, the fun and the prizes, the something, the Halloween thing, the something when everyone came in funny disguises. <laughs> I know, it sounds out of control. Really? People came in funny disguises? That party had to be off the chain and out the fucking door. How did they tame the fucking river after that party took place? Uh, that one I always liked. And then, um, of course, he had a billion uh, songs with Dionne Warwick. And then they sued each other awesomely, as all songwriters do. Um, not like um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan hated each other and would send the lyrics across town via messenger. <laughs> the, right? He would write the song and then the lyrics would come back and there'd be, you know, what? You know, all right, boy, and he'd throw him a shilling or whatever. And fucking, what do you mean I am the captain of the pinafore? This fucking blows. And then he'd write it and send it back over to him, right? You know. The very modern of a model major general. What the cock is this? There's too many fucking syllables in this. You suck. And they're buried next to each other in St. Paul's, which is awesome. So I'm hoping Hal David and Burt Backrock are buried atop one another. And there's just a sign that says, Do you know the way? At the top. Um, I don't think he started out being a song. His, his older brother was a songwriter, and then he became one. In any case, uh, we... Uh, we uh, are, are, uh, are saddened, but not surprised. And, uh, but I think his songs live for fucking ever. And uh, what is he? Uh, what's it all about? Alfie! <laughs> is it just for the moment we let. And then what is it? Uh, uh, and then the best, the best delivery of Dionne Warwick. Without true love, we just exist! <laughs> <laughs> fucking A. 
Um, the thing that made Dionne Warwick so great was she sang in a cool baritone and uh, never pointed at any notes while she was singing them, ever. I don't remember Dionne Warwick ever fucking going, Elfie! Like fucking everyone voting on American Idol and shit, and a Pepsi fell over or whatnot. And she just fucking sang in the same tiny key like that. But the best one of all, of course, is, uh, and my wife brought it up to me, was um, uh, Herb Alpert, right? Now, Herb Alpert is from L.A., and is a, a Jewish man who was in a band all through my childhood called the Tijuana Brass, which had three Italian guys and two Jews in it. He called it two enchiladas, what did he call it? Two bagels and two lasagnas or something. It was Herb Albert's name for the band. They wore pretend Mexican outfits and they played pretend mariachi music, like the theme from the dating game. Bomb, bomb, uh, 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 all right. Well, the reason why they were so popular was one, Herb owned the record company uh, with another guy, and two, Herb Albert was movie star fucking good looking and still is, right? He looks like a leading man. So he, I don't recall him ever singing except the one Burt Bacharach fucking song that he sang, which is This Guy's In Love With You. And he barely fucking sings it because he can't sing. He's a trumpet player. So he sings it awesomely. He's, what is it? Uh, yes, I'm in love. Who looks at you the way I do? Tell me now. Like, just getting there. Is it so? Don't. And then tries to glide one. Let me be the last to know. My hands are shaking. Let my heart keeps breaking. Cause. And then he has to really try for it. I need your love. Fuck it. I'm going down here. Everyone else go up there. That one is good. Say you're in love, in love with this guy. And then like every Hal David song, if not, I'll just die. Uh, wow. So this is kind of stalker-tastic at the end. You're going to die if I don't, if your love is unrequited. And then like a chair is still a chair. She's at the end. It's a, a please be there. Please be there. Still in love with me. There's an awesome desperation to the lyrics that I, um, Dig. And speaking of awesome desperation, let's talk about the Republican National Convention. <laughs> now, I can barely turn myself away from the telly tonight because the DNC is on right now and the big dog was up uh, speaking. And uh, when Clinton got up, he, uh, I'll cover this in the next one, obviously, but I'm going to cover it tonight because I was just watching it. They introduced Bill, they showed a package. Oh, they didn't show the man from Hope thing, but then they played uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac and then he came out and he went, uh, we're here to nominate a president, and I have someone in mind. And all I could think of was Hillary, right? <laughs> no, no, it's the other guy. Because he left a huge pause there, and then he went, Barack Obama. And there was a, uh, but so, yeah, the Republican convention took place, and uh, I've already said some caustic things about it, and I know I've been mean about this in the past. Now, you have to understand that I haven't been a huge fan of Barack Obama. I did vote for him, but I was never, I, I wasn't grooving on his action from the very beginning. One, I thought he was a uh, super flip toward Hilly. I know you're from here and you're in LA and the whole crowd's going to go quiet during the next 15 minutes of this show. I'm prepared for that. My ego's fucking huge. Whatever Kool-Aid you fucking drank that convinced you voting for a black guy makes you hip, I guess, is the kind of Kool-Aid you're still drinking. Well, good for you. And I'm not going to go Hank Williams Jr. on you. Trust me. This is going to pull out. You'll be on my side. You'll be on my side again by the end of this. I just wanted to state my fucking case. 
uh, I would tell jokes here about Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton for that matter and uh, the crowds would really hiss me and boo me down because you were simply not allowed performing in Los Angeles in, in the hip groovy rooms that I play in uh, to be against Barack Obama. I was doing an interview for a comedy online comedy magazine four years ago and the guy said so uh, who do you want in the selection? I said well I'm a Hellcat and he goes I heard that but I thought they were kidding. And I thought, really? You're going to patronize me like a fucking Montessori teacher and that my choice was... That you thought it was a joke that I believed what I believed? Okay, all right. I guess you're a 30-something limp dick white guy with fucking facial hair and a, and a newsboy cap on. Can I characterize you? Would that be all right? Who uh, owes a lot of girls apologies for your premature ejaculation and your fucking unspeakable sleeve tattoo. Is that a fair enough assessment? That you go to Whole Foods, but you don't have enough money, so you're going to trade Joe's, but because you've been put down by various women in your life and don't have that great of a relationship with your mother, you perceive Hillary Clinton as a shrewish dragon bitch. But the black guy's cool because his mom was white, and it wouldn't it be fun if I had a black friend, I'd fucking hang with him. This is like having one. I get it. I get it. I get hard work. I get hard work. Anyway, as I voted for him, and then the, the disappointment, of course, began almost immediately. Uh, uh, when he had uh, that unbelievable cocksucker give the invocation at his uh, uh, inauguration, and then his inaugural speech where he talked about Valley Forge for fucking 45 minutes, of all American moments to talk about, the moment when people's feet are bleeding and we're dying in the snow is my least favorite one. Uh, why not just talk about, you know, well, you know, during the Malay Massacre, people made decisions. Uh, in any case, uh, he's been a corporate drone. Uh, he's run predator drones. We have rendition. He did not close Guantanamo. We torture and we kill and we do every manner of illegality. Uh, these are just the opening salvos of, of why I have been disappointed with Barack Obama. Uh, having said all that and having covered that ground ever so briefly as I just have, um, I have to say this. I find that the people who are standing against him that ran uh, in the primaries against Barack Obama, and I may have said this before on the show, were not just the worst group of candidates I've ever seen stand against an incumbent president. And I've been voting since 1980 for president. Uh, so I saw John Anderson and Ronald Reagan run against Jimmy Carter for my first big vote when I was 20. Um, and John Anderson basically fucked up Jimmy Carter. I'll be very fucking honest about that. I don't care how independent-minded you are and shit like that. If you voted for fucking Ralph Nader two times ago, hooray for you. Uh, in any case, and as I always say, don't listen to me. Do what you like. That's what the whole fucking country's about. Uh, in any case, um, uh, they, the, the Republicans who stood against um, uh, Barack Obama and, and for the last year that we've had to watch them, a year and a half, uh, weren't the worst group of candidates I've ever seen. They were the worst group of humans I've ever seen on the stage. You know, horrible, small-minded, retroactive, misogynistic, misanthropic, uh, poor-hating. Is there? Is there? Is there? There must be a German word that means I hate the poor. The Germans have. The Germans have so many words like Schadenfreude and Gewürzschmelz. You know, I mean, there's like a million words. There has to be a word that openly means I detest the poor. Je detest the poor. Uh, and, and that's what the Republicans were. Uh, Herman Cain and Michelle Bachman were disgraceful candidates. Newt Gingrich is just one of those grandstanding fame whores with a horrible, horrible, 
unbelievable uh, 1948 librarian haircut that just <laughs> will not stand the test of fucking time. Rick Perry, yes, remember Rick Perry? He ran for president. Who told everyone in Texas to pray last year during the fucking insane drought and wears uh, Lone Star cufflinks and then would, went to New Hampshire with his cowboy boots and his Lone Star cufflinks. And if you've ever been to New Hampshire, people sit in diners like this. And he came in and went like, hey, y'all. They're like, oh, no. We had that. You know, that's all they could register was we had the fucking cowboy for eight years. Mm. Then there was uh, uh, Ron Paul, who, as I said, uh, uh, alternately intelligent and channeling Venus through a fucking tinfoil hat. He's against war. He's against uh, the Federal Reserve. I love him for those things. He's against uh, uh, the TSA and, and having the, uh, the unbelievable one-size-fits-all moronic security that we have all over this country. He's, he's commonsensical in so many regards. And then wildly misogynistic, even though he's a physician against women and things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm leaving out a few. Uh, oh, Rick Santorum, for fuck's sake. That's, not That's just beyond, beyond, beyond. The idea that we let Rick Santorum be on TV in America and that people all over the world saw him is humiliating to me as an American. You feel however you want. Uh, if I was a, a, a French person and a person came on TV wearing a fucking hat with a propeller on it and shit and went, when men rub their balls together, it is evil, I would be embarrassed if I was French. That's what we had. We had a guy with a propeller on his head. A metaphorical propeller. Uh, and, and then, uh, uh, I'm sure I'm dropping somebody off the list. I'm sure there was another fine candidate. Uh, in any case, uh, now we, they wanted it down to Mittens, right? And, um, and now we've seen what Mittens is about. Uh, all through this last year, we've had to watch him go further, 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 further to reach to the part of the party that now controls, not only uh, do they control the Republicans, whatever that is, because it's all one giant corporate party that's sort of vaguely different, and there's this much difference, and this is what I'm speaking to tonight, the difference, the nickel's worth of fucking difference between them. Um, uh, uh, that Mitt Romney, uh, the, the Republican uh, Party is controlled by, how do I put this delicately, without and funding people? Um, uh, Satan himself is reincarnated uh, as the Antichrist, and the Antichrist has a smooth hair and, and an awesome tie, and goes like this, hey everybody! Um, uh, they're a party of exclusion, they're a party of fear and hatred, they're afraid of so many things, uh, their extraordinarily uh, uh, diligent right wing has toiled ceaselessly, uh, basically in my mind since Nixon, but in more recent times, really since Reagan. Nixon was a nominal Christian, right? Remember he was a Quaker of all fucking things? That most peaceable of religions, the one who uh, the lion sits with the lamb and we all sit in a room like this until the spirit moves us and then someone stands up and goes, I have something to say. And then Reagan was nominally kind of a Presbyterian or some bullshit. He kind of, well, there's the thing up in the sky and I'm not certain what it is. Um, and uh, no one really cared that much. And then the evangelical thing started with uh, uh, W, quite frankly, the, the whole blood of the lamb thing and all that jazz and all the coded messages. And because they've worked so diligently and because they've had a hand in this, they've taken over not only the Republican Party, but the national dialogue. Nothing happens in this country that we don't have to address a very small, vocal, uh, um, vehement minority's needs and wants before we even address our own. We can't even say something like abortion is a necessary thing because it's part of the health process of women. And by the way, women abort on their own sometimes. 
times. It's not this unnatural fucking thing that's meted out uh, to, to punish fucking unborn fetuses who are venerated beyond all fucking measure in their unbelievable uh, fetusitude. Um, we, we can't even say commonsensical things like war is bad. Or the poor should be able to fucking eat, or everyone should be able to learn to read and shit like that, without having to go. Well, I don't mean everyone, and not you shouldn't have to pay for it. (laughs) The insane Christian element of right wing deniers of the American Taliban in this country that wants everything to be about them. We've had unbelievable mass shootings in the last few months in this country. The Sikh shooting, the one in Aurora, the other one, uh, uh, the New York City police took out a few people the other way just for fucking shits and giggles. Neither side will honestly discuss gun control in any substantive way because they are quaking in their fucking boots that someone will disagree with them. I did a show in Las Vegas and a guy got up and gave me this fucking argument. Well, there's other ways to kill people. You can use knives and stuff like that. Yeah, no one comes into a movie theater and shoots a knife bazooka at 16 people. It's a shitty argument, okay? It's a shitty argument. Uh, And yeah, other countries do have murder. I lived in England for five years. The amount of handgun deaths in England compared to one fucking day in this country is just paltry. Absolutely paltry. Uh, So... There's no discussion over gun control when clearly now is the time that we fucking talk about the Second Amendment and re-invoke it and reinterpret it and shit like that. Um, we can't talk about anything that makes any sense because they've hijacked everything. And Mitt Romney falls right in there. Mitt Romney was a moderate Republican. We used to have them. George Herbert Walker was a moderate Republican. That meant you were for birth control. You didn't give a fuck what people did with their personal lives. Just quit taking my money. Right? I want, I want there to be a giant military because all my friends fucking are war profiteers. And I want the taxes to be low for me and my buddies. That was it. That's what moderate Republicans cared about. They didn't give a fuck if you had a fetus. They didn't give a fuck if, if two men's dicks were rubbing together or two women's vaginas were bumping against each other gently in the night while fucking <laughs> Sweet Honey in the Rock played or whatever. They didn't care. They didn't care. Now that's all they fucking care about. Now I have to hear people like Chuck Norris said, if Obama was real elected, a thousand years of darkness will fall upon the land. That's not an argument that strikes me in the logical or even emotional core of my being. When you tell me a thousand years of darkness is going to fall on the land, I'm like, I thought Frodo threw the ring into the volcano. I remember the golem bit his finger off and he fell in and then Mordor was once again saved. The idea that I'm a, a sentient human being who's read a book and knows something and has been somewhere and has heard an argument and is able to consider two sides of an argument that I'm not a double-thinking quacks, but what is what's Orwell's word? Duck speak. Duck speak is, is when people speak in an absolute orthodox manner, down the party line all the time, and that's all you fucking hear on television is bloviating and duck speak, right? Yeah. Whether it's, uh, and I would say right or left, but left is never represented on TV. So that is a, a completely moot argument. There is no liberal media because the media is owned by giant corporations that have no truck with liberality of any kind. So you'll hear some media that purports the truth, but you won't hear it on fucking television. If you think CNN is liberal media, then I'd like to meet you out back and give you the fucking communist manifesto, which I have dipped in lucite and I'm wearing around my ass tonight. <laughs> in any case, Chuck Norris said a thousand years of darkness will fall, and he may be right. Uh, I've watched his uh, ad for the Ab Solver or whatever it is on TV. He's looking a little more simian than I remember him as Texas um, teenage walker. And 
his, uh, his wife said that 30 million evangelical Christians, yes, I watched the video. His wife said that 30 million evangelical Christians stayed at home, and that's why Obama won. There aren't 30 million evangelical Christians. Ever. There I said it. It's like Scientology. Scientology's always like, we have millions of numbers all over the world. They have like 40,000 people. Maybe. Maybe. Um, evangelical Christians, there's, there's not 30 million of them in the United States, much less the fucking world. When 300 years after Christ was born, when Hypatia was in Alexandria and was a leading light of technology, science, and, and Christian theosophy, there weren't 30 million of them then. There's never been 30 million evangelical Christians. I'm talking about evangelical Christians, the kind that believe that the Bible is a fucking literal book, like a like a like a instruction booklet for a fucking IKEA table or whatever. <laughs> You have to take a special wrench and stick it in that hole, and don't let anyone else stick that wrench in that hole. Only my wrench goes in this hole. In the book of Ikea, it says, only shall this wrench fit in that fucking hole. So, and then, uh, 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 who's, uh, uh, Hank Williams Jr., uh, this week at the Ohio State Fair, said Obama's a Muslim... Which is like beyond beyond. First of all, if you want to argue with me about politics, don't even start. But secondly, if you want to argue with me about politics, try to present some kind of case that I can relate to that comes from the near fucking universe. And not from like at the apogee of where fucking Haley's Comet ends up when we don't see it for the other 75 years and shit. Don't tell me that he's a Muslim. He's not a Muslim. Uh, don't tell me that he's not American. Hawaii, as far as I know, has been a state for some 50-odd years now. He also gave his long-form birth fucking certificate out when he was finally pressed to it by that unbelievable sage, Donald Trump, <laughs> who I follow in all matters political. I love when people like Donald Trump threaten to run as if there's some sort of hidden superpower they have. I'm going to run. I'm not kidding. We're not do all of Gotham City will quake. Because I live in a land with green and red lights and guys wearing little jumpsuits with their hats and masks on. And they'll pow, you know. No, you're not going to run. You can't win. You're a moron. You're a moron. Your father was rich. That's why you're rich. Your father was rich. That's why you're rich. You didn't do anything. Uh, I mean, wow. Really? Uh... I'll quote, uh, they were talking a lot on the DNC tonight about, uh, uh, um, you know, businesses and businesses fail and the business of America and all that shit. And my, my, you know what, I, rich people are cool. I've known some cool rich people. I have some rich friends. But it, to me, uh, I always go back to uh, Orson Welles or Mankiewicz or whoever wrote the line in Citizen Kane. I presume it was Welles. Any fool can make money if that's all he sets his mind to. There's other things to admire people for than making money. Um, so let's put that aside. I mean, the reason why we venerate uh, Dr. Martin Luther King or, or, or Mohandas Gandhi or Mother Jones or Susan B. Anthony or anybody like that is because they were rich. I mean, when Donald Trump, I'm gonna fucking run. And I'm sure you, he's from Africa and he's a Muslim and he's lying. Go, go back to your reality show. That's the speed you're set at. Where morons watch and go, man, I can't believe this is happening. I wonder what will happen next week. 
I wonder, I wonder if the guy who was on that other show will be the celebrity of Prasmaron. Because everyone who watches the show doesn't have an upper lip. True fact. Check. Then, uh, so Hank Williams Jr. And by the way, Hank Williams Sr. is not only the Hal David of country music, he's the Chuck Berry and Irving Berlin and Lead Belly of fucking country music. There is no fucking country music without Hank Williams. Yes, there was hillbilly music before him, but he codified it. He made the structure. He put all the rules down on paper. He died at the age of 12 after not having eaten anything but methamphetamine for nine years. He, I mean, what more can a fucking hillbilly do to make this country great? Hank Williams is someone I admire beyond all measure. Um, I mean, really. Um, uh, again, speaking of opening fucking lines, hey, good looking, what you got cooking? <laughs> I got a hot rod Ford and a two dollar bill. Fuck yeah. yeah! Chuck Berry listened to Hank Williams for certain. For certain, the humor of Hank Williams. Uh, move over, little dog. A big dog's moving in and shit. <laughs> I can't vouch for the son. I know that in the seventies he fell off a cliff when he was real fucking high and had to have his head reconstructed and shit. And he used to do an awesome song that I really liked. Uh, was it? They asked me, Hank, why do you drink? Why do you roll smoke? Why must you live out the songs that you wrote? Uh, no one remembers that one with me? If I get stoned and sing all night long, it's a family division, right? So then he was the football guy, which was more humiliating than anything that's ever happened. Uh, the football guy on the ABC Monday Night Football, like, it's it's the reason why women hate men. Yeah. It is the reason. Right. Women walk by the TV, turn it on, see that, and like, are you ready for some fuck? And you're like, I'm so becoming a lesbian. One of men are going to look like that, wear that kind of facial hair, presume they're blah to senior that they get to enter me looking like that and wearing that facial hair. If they're going to speak in that tone of fucking voice about something no one cares anything about except for gangsters and gamblers. Sweet fucking Maria. So then he sat at the Ohio, Ohio State, uh, the Iowa State Theater, by the way. This wasn't some gig. He wasn't playing like the fucking people with pointy heads who, you know, have gills and shit convention or whatever. He wasn't playing at the everybody has the same last name and has for 400 years convention. He was playing at the fucking Iowa State Fair. If you've ever been to Iowa or know anyone from Iowa, Iowa's not exactly like a shit-kicking barn dance. There are rednecks in Iowa. There's also many enlightened people and fucking all kinds of people, just like there are everywhere in this country. I refuse to believe that we're divided north and south and east and west. Uh, I, I, my, my family's from Mississippi, and I have a lot of family in Texas and shit. And yeah, it's fucking scary, okay? It can be real fucking scary. You'll also meet people of vast intellect and sensitivity while you are there. Um, the gigs I enjoy the most are Atlanta and fucking Raleigh, North Carolina. And I did Nashville this year and had a fuck of a time. And by the way, when I sang that Hank Williams song in Nashville, they all went, uh, they all knew the lyrics. Um, so, yeah, whatever, you guys. Anyway, Hank, uh, uh, he's a Muslim. He, uh, he hates, he, he hates the military. I'm not getting it in the right order. He hates freedom. I'm almost certain that was in there. And then he lo he loves gays and he hates the United States and we hate him. 
Uh, and then everybody started chanting and shit like that. And when in doubt, everybody always chants USA. I pointed out earlier this year, I believe it was at a Santorum rally, uh, two guys got up and kissed. They kind of uh, flash mobbed the, the gig. Two guys got up and kissed with another guy. And the crowd started chanting USA. As if chanting USA stops homosexual <laughs> I can't even begin to understand that. I can't begin to understand that. If you were in Italy, if you were in Italy and a right-wing politician got up and started... If we were in France, let's go France. If Marine Le Pen got up at one of her fucking rallies and started in on the Algerians and the Tunisians and all the people from Afrique and blah, 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 and then two guys got up and fucking started kissing, they wouldn't start going, France, France, They wouldn't start singing the Marseillaise, thinking that that would quell people's homosexuality. Did they expect those gay guys to go, oh my god, they're chanting USA. The power of those three letters is so awesome that I must stop Frenching my boyfriend. So, uh, he said that. And then, of course, and I'm not going to go into it too deeply, because everyone will have killed it with a fucking stick by this time, but clearly would. Now, I just want to talk about it briefly, because all, everybody knows what's what. First of all, there's a reason why they had Clint Eastwood out at their convention. The only other celebrities they have to go to are Kelsey Grammer, Taylor Hicks, and a bunch of other fucking country stars. You know, oh, and Kid Rock. So you're not going to have Kid Rock come out at the Republican National Convention with his fucking hat on, dragging a hooker behind him. And you go like, dude, yeah, fucking Romney! And the other guy! The other guy! Harvey Ryan! So they brought Clint out because, first of all, he's famous to everyone, even to people now, because he still makes pictures all the time. Whatever he did in pictures is irrevocable and can never be taken away, even by what happened at the Republican National Convention. As you know, I'm an enormous fan of Charlton Heston, who at one point was wildly for civil rights and marched with people, and then later in the career became kind of the, the prince of gun-toting. Uh, and everyone sort of remembers him for that, instead of the awesomeness of how great he was in Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Where one of the apes says to him, I'm in charge of this expedition, and he goes, well... Good for you. <laughs> I'm in charge of myself. <laughs> mm -hmm. I can't remember which Clint Eastwood movie it is. I think it's it's not High Plains Drifter. Cock. Uh, might be Joe Kidd. Who is it? If you guys start with me, I kill three, maybe four of you. There's five guys. He's yeah. facing down five guys. Which movie is it? A fistful of dollars, or a few dollars more? No. If we held an election right now, I don't think you'd win. <laughs> <laughs> you can't take that away. So he gets up at the fucking convention. We all know what happened. He talked to an empty chair, which was a, 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 a metaphor that goes beyond metaphor. Let's, let's talk about the meta part of metaphor. <laughs> It, it, it's how they perceive what the White House has been over the last three and a half years, right? The perception from the people who have hornswoggled the Republican Party and driven it into this fucking I hate 
uh, I hate hoes and I hate the Poe uh, corner that we're in now, and I love woe, uh, uh, perceive that there has been no one in the White House, that in fact there is a non-American citizen Muslim empty chair at the White House, as opposed to an articulate guy who went to Harvard and shit. Um, and when I say articulate guy went to Harvard, remember our previous president, Caligula, also went to Harvard. <laughs> and Yale. And served in the Air National Guard. Ever so briefly. Uh, in any case, that metaphor was completely wild. But here's why they did it. They only had Hemi's famous. Everybody knows who the fuck he is. And he's uncool. He's a thousand. He, he was all over the yard. The, the, the ideas came thick and fast. It was kind of confusing parts of it and shit. It worked for these reasons. You saw the crowd at the Republican National Convention. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a Chick-fil-A on Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> or even a Wayful House anywhere in this United States on a Sunday morning when people all come out to eat together and dad's wearing a camo hat and everyone's wearing a camo hat. That's what the Republican National Convention looks like. It's a lot of, how do I, how do I say this? People who... Their grooming is not their first consideration, nor is staying trim a consideration at any point during their lives. So when you see them, and there are no ethnic people allowed other than Condoleezza Rice and the camera woman that they threw nuts at, and yes, they did. Um, uh, they, the, 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 there's 2% of the people at the Republican National Convention were black, um, over 25% at the Democratic National Convention. You've seen the difference. This isn't breaking a pinata open. This is serious fucking regular facts that are just true. Um, when they show the crowd at the Republican National Convention, it's a lot of very scary people with hats on who are angry and afraid. And that's what I see. I don't see people that I hate. I don't see people that I want killed. I don't see people that I want exiled to an island. I see people who are afraid of Mexicans, of which there is no threat that Mexicans are going to do anything but prepare delicious meals and work far too hard for what they're being fucking doing. <laughs> Secondly... Uh, or Arizona, where I was born, and, and very <laughs> unbelievable. Uh, they're afraid of uh, a women's uh, at the Cave of Mystery. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> the Cave of Mystery is producing a lot of enzymes that they're not familiar with. Uh, they're they're afraid of, uh, and this one is the one that I can barely get my mind around, but I understand it sort of. They're afraid of healthcare. Because it means the government's telling them what to do, and fuck you, no one's going to tell me what to do. I was driving down Robertson Boulevard yesterday, perhaps one of the shallowest avenues in a town of shallow avenues. If, if this town is Gomorrah, then the main thoroughfare of Gomorrah might be Robertson Boulevard. Where, uh, famously, there's lots of boutiques, and, uh, and awesomely, uh, a Union 76 station for no reason that I've uh, there's lots of boutiques and little places to eat and tchotchke shops. And uh, uh, coffee bean and tea leaf opposite of Starbucks. That's because coffee bean's kosher, for those of you glaish, who don't know. Why is there always a coffee bean right across from a Starbucks? Because if you're fucking super orthodox, you can't go to fucking Starbucks. You gotta go to coffee bean. And the firemen and the policemen sit out in front of the Starbucks so they're gonna watch all the chicks walk up and down Robertson because it's, it's chick central. So I'm driving down Robertson. I'm behind this guy. And on his bumper sticker, it says... Um, you, I'm going to keep my, I'll keep my freedom, my guns, my freedom, and my money, and you can keep the change. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Right? The things that were important to him were his guns, his money, and his freedom. Uh, 
I'm not certain how that even works, but I get it, okay? I get that you're afraid that someone's going to take your gun away, and that if you don't have your gun with you, then your penis will shrink into insignificance, <laughs> and you won't be able to shoot all the bad people that are coming to your house from Mexico to take your job. Uh, that if you don't have your money, because you don't want to share your money with other people, uh, because you'd rather they, they would just die and stack up in the street, and then you could roll over them freely, and that would be your freedom. Uh, I'm not certain what it meant, but it was weird to me. Uh, and I'm not certain what the freedom that Obama's traveling. I, was, I could mention many things that he's traveling, uh, but we're not on that tip right now. I'll go back and mention them anyway. Here we go. Uh, uh, the Patriot Act has been extended and expanded beyond all fucking measure. Um, we still believe that water is explosive and can't be taken through a security at an airport. Um, we still have to take our shoes off at airports. Um, it, there's an age limit of, what is it, 74, above 74. You don't have to take your shoes off because terror doesn't happen at a certain age, evidently. Um, <laughs> Uh, th there's a lot of things uh, he could be doing, but I, I don't see him by and large shoveling everyone's everyday freedom to carry a fucking gun and put a bumper stick like that on their car and shit like that. So Clint uh, got up, and then this was the part that got me the most because he went, um, uh, I remember when he was elected, uh, uh, Oprah cried. <laughs> and, the, and they cut away to the crowd, and the crowd went, ah! And I was absolutely fucking terrified for my life. <laughs> Nothing was more exciting to them than the idea of Oprah crying. Uh, they want her to cry. They wish she would cry for another reason. Uh, and that was the part that I kind of went, wow. And then when he went, um, politicians don't own the country, we want our country back and shit. Um, Mitt Romney is a politician who very close to, if it's possible to, owns this country. <laughs> um, he has unbelievably vast resources and is a billionaire. Do you want to talk about who owns shit? Uh, I think you could say the last administration, the Bush-Cheney administration, literally, uh, with all of their connections, owned the country. Um, because we weren't allowed to make another move that they didn't approve of at any point. Two wars were rammed up our ass, all of our rights were taken away, uh, we're still paying for all the nonsense and all the banks and every manner of fucking nonsense uh, 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 and chicanery, Bilkington, Horn swagglery, mountain bankery, poltroonery, and fucking insanity that they let uh, this country be, the Constitution be violently fucking taken from behind and let us all fucking carry the debt for that till the end of fucking time. And they were connected within the interlocking boards of directors of all the giant corporations that run the enormous war profiteering machine that powers every decision they made. No decisions were made by the Bush Cheney administration that weren't based on that. They did not make decisions based on what would be for the common good or what would be, make a baby fucking smile. Uh, they made decisions like, what will make us more money? This. But all these people will die and there'll be poor people everywhere. Fine. Uh, I believe you'll re recall Dick Cheney said deficits don't matter. And uh, George W. said when he went to New Orleans to visit Katrina, I used to have some good times down here. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, they were funny. And, and they were keeping it real. So um, that was the part that was weird to me. Now, did, was it effective? Yeah, I think it was. Um, is it over now? Yeah, it's so deeply and deadly over. Hopefully the Clint Eastwood thing will never rear its ugly fucking head again. The point is this. They weren't able to crack out another movie star. They're... Yeah, unless you think John Voight is going to come out and fucking rock the house at the Republican National Convention. Mm. But it's the fear 
That's what gets me. And here's the good part. Here's the upside of all of this. What is the upside, Greg? <laughs> Having watched uh, the, the Democratic National Convention for a couple of days now, um, this is the leftiest, most pro-abortion, most feminist fucking convention I have ever seen the Democrats hold in my fucking short and insignificant life. Uh, the, 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 I assure you, the 72 convention with McGovern was not as lefty as this fucking convention is. There's women up there every second talking about on-demand abortion. And that hasn't been an issue that we've openly talked about like grown-ups in this country for ages. The fact that the Republican Party swung so far toward the Iron Cross has forced the Democrats to be Democrats again, at least on paper, at least while they're talking uh, during this period. And I think that's the best thing to be saying about it. Uh, a lot to Elizabeth Warren speak, and a lot of women get up. Uh, uh, um, uh, I just blanked on her fucking name. Santa Fluke got up and, and said straight up about choice and what the fuck is going on with men. And she would know better than anyone, having been vilified by Rush Limbaugh called a slut simply because she expressed her opinion that maybe the government could pick up the fucking tab every once in a while for some of the contraception around this place. Um, in any case, I think that's the upside of all this, that we're being forced to deal with um, the poor, with feminism, with employment, with jobs, with like restructuring the country and shit like that. Actual, real issues, as opposed to the Lord and shit. Okay, the Lord is cool, but the Lord's not going to fucking do anything. I believe um, He helps those who help themselves. And, shit. Uh, and it's about time we did that again. I, I said I wasn't going to vote, and I've been saying I wasn't going to vote because I've really been detesting uh, a lot of the nonsense that's been going on in the Obama administration. And I would urge you this. Vote your conscience. How's that? How's that for non-committal and shit? And if your conscience includes being a Republican and you think that there's going to be a thousand years of darkness if the black man is elected again, remember two things. He was raised by white women, his white mother and his white grandmother. His black father was not a huge factor in his life. If that makes you feel any better about his blackness, because that seems to be a, a giant sticking point for a good deal of the country. The one thing that we're all not saying and that we're all hiding under the rug and that the Republicans will never just come and say outright is we didn't want a black president. And it's a horrible thing to say and it's a horrible truth. And I thought it was going to be more evident the first time around in 2008. And I found after four years it's more evident this time around. That's the weird part to me. I thought the country would never elect him the first time because we'd be too racist. And I'm afraid that it's going to be this time around because we're too racist. That in the end, people will get in the voting booth and go, well, that Mitt Romney's hair. <laughs> He's so white and reassuring. Uh... I love people that still live under the dominant paradigm that two white guys with hair like that are going to tell you what's right and that they know what's fucking going on. But you're a white guy with hair like that, Greg. I'm not telling you what's going on. I'm telling you to question everything that's fucking going on. Uh, so hopefully it'll all work out in the end. And uh, what do we have? Two fucking months? This one's going to be a close and I think uh, you know why. Because uh, states like Ohio and North Carolina and New Mexico, uh, bubble states as you were, or states that could go either way. Um, the machinery is already in place to rig the election. And if you don't think it is, just remember yeah. back to the two Bush elections, which were utterly and completely fucking rigged. Um, Ohio, in both those elections, got called amazingly early. Those elections were not played on the square. It was like we were Panama in the 40s. I mean, so it can happen again. That's all I'm saying. You know, be vigilant. 
And also, the whole voter registration thing is absolutely aimed at the underclass. There's no other reason for making stringent rules for voter registration and having to show your ID. There's no reason you should have to show your ID if you're an American. You should be able to pitch up to the fucking polling place and go, My name's Greg! I want to vote! And then they hand you a fucking piece of paper, because paper is what we should be voting on. The idea that we ever let it go to machines that are built by giant corporations that are run by icky white guys who are all fat and beat up hookers and shit like that... Is is beyond my unbelievable. Uh, it's beyond my comprehension. Um, wh- why are paper voting so great, Greg? Because you can count pieces of paper. It's that fucking simple. Yep. Pieces of paper don't multiply in a box. Yep. Um, when you press a key on a diebold machine, let me put it this way: If I told you that you were voting on a shitty ATM that was in a liquor store in a shitty part of town, the kind you put your card in, went fucking please work, please work, please work, and then the spinning icon starts on it like this, and you're like, fuck, I don't know if my information's in there forever, or if it's even going to give me the money, I just want to go. There's there's chicharronis in a bag with hot sauce in them here, all near the counter. I wish I didn't come into this place. I don't even know what King Cobra is. If I told you that you had to vote on that machine, that's what you're voting on. That is what you're voting on. Understand that. Understand that. That you are voting on a machine that is that competent and can be that manipulated. And that that's how they want it to fucking be. Um, before we have another election, and we even go through the voter registration thing and the, uh, and the rigging of the votes and closing down... Uh, 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 polling places too early and closing the polling places in poor neighborhoods and what they did in Ohio last time if you recall um, the the registrar closed the um, uh, 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 where they were counting the votes off to the press the press couldn't watch and by the way that's illegal but he said it was a national security issue well there what the Al-Qaeda was coming by with fucking baggies full of water what was was gonna happen someone put some shampoo in a bag and mixed it up real fast with fucking MacGyver you um It's a free and open democracy, right? We know that Obama uh, is using predator drones to assassinate Americans because we live in a free and open democracy so far. Uh, The the press should be able to watch all vote counting, right? The press should be there to vet it. We should be there to vet it. Um, uh, What was your point, Greg? I've kind of run off the track on that one, but I'll come back to it when I remember it. It'll be a hilarious payoff, I'm almost certain. I would just like to see uh, voting, this was my point, Um, the the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 7 doesn't begin to eliminate, uh, it it is instrumental in keeping people from voting. And that is precisely the way the government and the two giant corporate parties want it. If there was to be actual representation, which you remember we fought a revolution against England for, because we were being taxated and we weren't being represented uh, or orientated, as they say. Uh, we would have voting for a week, and you could vote 24 hours a day, and they would just keep the polling places open. And then at the end of that week, we would count all the votes. But if they did it that way, no Republican would have ever been president of the United States in the 20th century. Because they've never been a party of the poor people, they've never been the big tent. I'm not saying they're more evil than, than fucking Democrats. They've just never been the party of the big ten. You look at the fucking Democratic National Convention, there's a Filipino fucking person there. There's, there's, you see, someone pointed out, you see the wait staff at the Democratic National Convention applauding the speakers. At the Republican National Convention, you did not see that. There was no wait staff visible, one, and two, they did not applaud the speakers. Because no one got up and ever said, uh, everyone should have health care. 
uh, when you're running for president like Mitt Romney is and your platform is the first thing you're going to do is give tax cuts to the rich and dismantle health care I don't even I don't know what world I'm living in where a thousand years of light is going to burst through that fucking promise uh, and, and smoke me uh that would be the first thing I would do. One is have voting for a week and that let everyone vote. Who, who's, you, and fuck, you know, from maybe 16, uh, when do you start paying taxes into the fucking workplace? When do you first get a job? I don't know about you guys, but I was working from probably 13 and then I had my first legal or illegal job when I was 15. I was a janitor. And, uh, but I've been paying taxes into the system for ages. And I think you should be able to drink when you want to and fucking uh, vote when you want to. And also, uh, further, um, not only should there be voting all day for a week, uh, there should be no electoral college. The electoral college was invented uh, to, to keep people... Well, you remember what happened with Gore and Bush. That's a perfect example of how the electrical co electrical college <laughs> turned into one of my cousins. <laughs> well, if there wasn't no electrical college, all the lights would go out. <laughs> it is a prime example of uh, why uh, the abuse that, that you can rent by by having represent by using numbers instead of counting the popular vote uh, and like that. Uh, all right. That's been enough boring preachy part. Let's do a couple <laughs> questions and then uh, Kittens McTavish, it's time to go. Here, let's see. Uh, if you want to, oh, Audible, I'll remember, I'll remember. Uh, <laughs> you can put it at the top of the show if you want. You know, sometimes you're sitting around the house and you think, I'd like to read a book, but I don't have time. I'd rather get in my car and drive around and listen to a book. That's the time and you want Audible. Because Audible has over five million titles that you can choose from. I'm exaggerating, but it's close. <laughs> Go to audible.com slash smartest. Is that what it is? Audiblepodcast.com slash smartest. Or you can go to the banner on my website, greggroups.com, and click on the Audible banner, and uh, they'll give you a free download. And they have, I think it's 35,000 titles, and um, it, it's quite a good service. And as my friend uh, John DiMaggio once said on this very show, Audible, when you don't feel like reading. Um, <laughs> If you want to ask us a question, it's smartestatusspecialthing.com. If you want to uh, email me directly, it's fanmail4greg at gmail.com. And uh, I will answer you, unless you're a sociopath, in which case I'll probably block you. But uh, I haven't had too many. Although a guy quoted me last week about this uh, Julian Assange, because I was saying that the, the fact that Julian Assange is up on sexual assault charges in Sweden is another matter <laughs> to the fact that he's uh, holed up in the Ecuadorian embassy in London, because of WikiLeaks is such an amazing and involved uh, revelation uh, of government secrets that was unbelievably important. And as you know, Private Bradley Manning is still in solitary confinement, although allowed to wear clothes now. Yes, Private Bradley Manning was kept naked for months. Naked. An American was kept naked in our country for months by our president, the Harvard Constitutional Law Scholar. Uh, naked. So for his own safety and security. Uh, <laughs> in, in any case, uh, a guy wrote me and went, Get real! You're always banging on Dominique Strauss-Cons as the rape. If you rape, blah, blah, blah. I'll point you to an article in The Guardian. You can go on Guardian Online, and there was two women who wrote a piece about uh, Julian Assange. And they're both rape, uh, and a, they're women's advocates. And... Uh, uh, they, they point out several salient things, which I won't go into the whole enchilada now. But um, let me put it this way. They're always, these two women, after the British government um, on rape cases. And the British government has never, ever exerted any force in any of these cases or cared at all 
until Julian Assange. So let me put it that way to you. Maybe that makes a little more sense to you, to see that this is a political maneuver of someone they consider an enemy of the state because he has revealed secrets and shit like that. But the whole world would come apart if they gave away every secret and shit. Really? You know you think it would? What else? Uh, Maureen asks, uh, to the most kitten, to the most kittenest of McTavishes, uh, do you think Hillary Clinton will run in twenty? I do not. I just seen these. I'm not, I didn't fucking write this one. I, I just picked it up off the table here. Do you think Hillary Clinton will run in 2016? Does she fare a better chance after her role as Secretary of State? Maureen, I'd like to answer your question directly. Uh, having started the show by mentioning Bill Clinton coming in and almost leaving a huge gaping pause where everyone could have yelled Hillary tonight. Uh, also, I saw one of the MSNBC reporters tonight. Which one, Greg? Lawrence McDonald. Um, I didn't want to say his name. I did a TV show one uh, with him last year in LA. A very nice TV show that Susie Essman was on. And Susie Essman's a lovely lady. And he acted like the biggest fucking dickweed I've ever sat next to in a TV show in my life. Just so you know. Really, isn't that kind of a personal libelous thing that you're going into now, Greg? Let me just put it this way. We sat next to each other on a panel on the most fluffy fucking show of all time, and he acted like this. And I almost wanted to go, um, fuck you? <laughs> anyway, Lawrence McDonald said tonight on MSNBC that it's almost certain she's going to run in 2016. And I wouldn't have believed him because he's on MSNBC, except that he said, uh, I've been talking to all the money people. <laughs> and it's uh, him and uh, Andrew Como, or, or her rather, and Andrew Como, I think. Uh, so I think she will. Um, I wish she would have, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't, she's not going to stay Secretary of State. I'm almost certain of that. She's going to split. She's in China now, I think, this week. Or she's, she's yeah. definitely in Asia. She was in Indonesia. Um, uh, I think she will, and I think that uh, she will win when she does. And I also think that she'll pick a bitching running mate. And then I'm hoping she does maybe one term and then hands it over to that person. Elizabeth Warren was speaking tonight. She'd make a damn good running mate. Um, I wouldn't, Andrew Cuomo wouldn't be so bad either. I mean, the, the cat, the what? Fracking. What? Fracking. Oh, the fracking. Yeah, that will fuck him up. That will fuck him up. That will fuck him up. Well, but that, I hope that answers your question. Does she fare a better chance after a role as Secretary of State? I think she does, and here's why. Because I think after four years, everyone realized Obama made a couple of good decisions. One, Obamacare, which was an amazing thing that happened, and thank fuck it did. But the other big decision he made at the very beginning of his administration was taking his chief rival and opponent and making her Secretary of fucking State. Uh, that took a giant person to do. And everyone around the world uh, respects and loves her, and I think her estimation in this country uh, uh, on both sides has gone up amazingly. Oh. And further, she might be the single most famous person in the world, which is not something to be sniffed at. Uh, we're in Hollywood. And you guys should know something about fucking popularity. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, yes, granted, 10 years ago, I could have said, uh, you know, whatever, uh, Little Kim or whatever. And everyone was like, yeah! Uh, I know. Uh, what is it? Uh, what does he say at the end of Patton? All fame, all fame is fleeting. Uh, but not hers at this moment. Uh, thank you, Maureen, for your question. Andrew asks, um, Dear Your Holiness, Thank you. Please rise, Andrew. Proofs Gregory the First. There were 25 popes named Gregory, by the way. If it's just a coincidence, I don't like boys that much. If you were to write a children's book called The Adventures of Kittens McTavish, 
what lesson would you want the kitties to learn from it? First of all, I would never call children kitties uh, unless I was Bob Crane. I, I, I find calling... I, I, de I detest the term kiddo. I hate it in scripts. I hate it when I see it in movies and on TV shows when people go, hey, kiddo. <laughs> no one has legitimately called anyone else kiddo in a thousand years. Kitties is an awful term, like rugrats. I detest the term rugrats. And I just determine kids. I prefer, um, uh, at, at, you know, uh, uh, preemie. Uh, Non-budded adults. Uh, kiddies. Well, Kittens McTavish, if I were to write a children's book called Kittens McTavish, it would go a little bit like this. Uh, Kittens McTavish jumped out of uh, her basket and skittered down the lane. Strawberries in her wake. When she got to the elementary school, all the children were there in a circle holding hands. Black, white, yellow. But the poor Jewish children were standing aside. <laughs> Kitten said. We don't want them to play with us because they don't believe in the Lord, said one of the taller, blonder, square lanterns. Jaw children wearing a Hank, wearing a Hank Williams Jr. bib. <laughs> Can't you see what Kittens is trying to tell us? Said the smallest girl whose name was Judy and she wasn't Asian. <laughs> that we should let all the children play together because we we're all born as one and that no matter whether you play with a fluff ball or a ball of yarn, you're a ball in someone's fucking mitten kitten. <laughs> you inferred all of that from one fucking meow, said the tall, lantern-jawed, skeptical Nazi child. <laughs> Not only did I infer it, it went to the very heart of my soul, like a chocolate Hershey's kiss shot from a fucking fudge bazooka. <laughs> then Kittens was happy again. Because the Jewish children played with all the other children. And the moral of the story is simply this. If you're a kitten, you should be awfully careful when you're running toward elementary schools, because people are heedless. <laughs> you could get hit by a Vespa. There could be a hipster. Yeah. There could be a hipster wearing a fucking vintage motorcycle helmet on a Vespa who just did a bong hit. And they could look and run over your tail, kittens. It's an abstruse moral, but I think... <laughs> McTavish strapped on her wings and leapt from the parapet. <laughs> Swooping down over the crowd, she sprayed them with the estrogen that came out of her giant anal scent glands. <laughs> Suddenly, everyone was imbued with a feeling of overwhelming confidence in the world. I could really murder some butterscotch pudding, said the youngest child, the one with the dappled face and freckles. I'm going to kick off my Mary Janes and run heedlessly through this field of mint. Later, when Kittens was smoking the valedictorian Jay on the parapet, she looked back upon her busy day, one eye green, the other purple, and oscillating. And the moral of the story is simply this. When you're flying, kittens, be sure to be careful because sometimes high tension wires come out of nowhere. <laughs> Happen time and time again. 
<laughs> Thank you for your letter, Andrew. And please don't call children kitties. You'll find that kittens are kitties. Kids are kidlets. Uh, one last question, and then, uh, okay. Philip asks, uh, Dear Grandmaster Proops, uh, Yes, Philip? Should men wear shorts? <laughs> this is a question that's very near and dear to me. I was out in uh, I was in Philadelphia a couple of weeks ago. I was indicated on the show. I forget what the name of that episode was. Liberty was it? Was it Liberty? Something like that. And um, Philadelphia was better than I thought. As I said, Philadelphia is a city that wears a wife beater and shower shoes and stands on the corner and calls you a dick face. And then deep inside, they made a creamy nugget and cream cheese. They're as sentimental and lovable as any town I've ever been to, and I thought they were going to be fucking dicks. So I kind of liked Philly. Um, when I went back to the club that night, I'd been out all day, walking around Philly, and it was fucking hot. It was summer in Philly. Uh, back of my neck, feeling dirt and gritty. Uh, bend down isn't it a pity because it's a beautiful shadow in the city and uh, I uh, I gets to the club and one of the guys goes because they have those Philly accents right which are kind of like New Jersey meets you know PA uh, what, what did you just do today and I go I, you know I walked around and shit and the guy's like in your shorts and I was like look at me and he went you don't wear shorts do you and I'm like <laughs> if if I'm in uh, a pool or the ocean, yeah, I don't wear like Laurel and Hardy long pants. <laughs> by the sea, by the sea, by the beautiful sea, you and me, you and me, oh how happy we'll be when each wave comes rolling in. We will duck or swim, and we'll float and fool around the water over and under and up forever. Mars rich, Paris rich, so now what do we care? I'd love to be beside your side, beside the sea, beside the seaside, at the beautiful sea. No, I don't wear those outfits. I have actual shorts, you know, little ones with flowers on them and shit. I even have a groovy pair that has, I don't know what it is. There's something that's stuck in the pocket with a little thread, like a, you know, a surfer thread, that is a comb. And I don't know what you're supposed to fucking do with it, but it lives in those shorts. <laughs> and I also bought some espadrilles this week, which I never thought it would happen to me in my life. And I'm pretty confessional when I share this with you, ladies and gentlemen. I'd always watched the movie To Catch a Thief with Cary Grant and admired his striped shirt and his espadrilles. But I thought, as a human, I could no never wear them in public. I won't be wearing them in public, but if you visit me in my home, I will be wearing them. <laughs> I will also wear shorts at home when no one else is around. Here's the answer to that, Philip. Should men wear shorts? Under two circumstances, men should wear shorts. One, if they're in the comic strip Peanuts. <laughs> or, and this is a very broad-based second one, or you are near or in water of some kind, whether it is a lake, an ocean, or a spa. And I do mean a spa. You mean I should wear shorts when I go in the hot tub of the spa? Yeah. I don't want to watch your balls floating gently through the surface. If that's okay with you, sir, I would like to eat after I go to the spa. And the sight of your fucking gelatinous sack floating like a Portuguese man of war with its tendrils waving at me is quelling my need for a fucking tico taco, all right? <laughs> 
And there's one other time then she wears shorts. Never. Never. Don't wear flip-flops and don't wear shorts. But it's hot and I want to be comfortable. What about us? What about us? You're a man. Uh, uh, driving uh, on Fairfax today, and uh, not uh, not in the not I wasn't in the lower expensive uh, baseball cap district of Fairfax. I was in the upper lesbian um, butcher shop district of Fairfax. And as I was, thank you, Ryan. As I was driving through it with my wife, uh, three guys came across the street, and they were unbelievably fat below the chest. You know that. Yeah. When, Guys are fat from here to here, and and they were all wearing uh, flip flops and shorts, and it was not pleasant, Bill. <laughs> Phil, Phil, Philip. It was not pleasant. It was a bummer. Were they comfortable? Who's to say? Uh, I know that comfort was not a word that came into my mind, nor was it a feeling that I had any apprehension of, right? To me, discomfort was what immediately, all I could think of was, put some fucking trousers on and put some shoes on. Your feet look like horrible, splayed fucking ostrich feet with fucking cassowary fur all over them. They're revolting. They're like a burrito that exploded in a microwave and is in a shoe now. That's what they fucking look like. And secondly, your physique is revolting. Revolting. Have you no respect for America or anything? Fucking trim down. Stop eating fucking AM, PM, fucking mini hot dogs with cheese inside them every moment of your life. Or whatever the cock your diet is. Whatever your diet is, half it. <laughs> and if you're going to walk in the fucking hot sun, because it was humid today in L.A., a very uncharacteristic L.A. day, it was, it was actually a little more like... Uh, like Florida in the 30s than it was ever in any L.A. day. It's not often like this. If you go to Florida, almost every fucking day is like this. That's why I never understand why people move to Florida. They're like, hey, it's sunny every day. Yeah, but it's fucking humid every day and shit. There's never a fresh breeze that comes off the sea that makes you go, is that the tang of salt miles in the ocean? In Florida, you go, was that fireworks in a burning thing? Was that a Wayful on fire at the Wayful house? Is that Hank Williams Jr.? Uh, is that Chuck Norris applying a scissor kick to a fucking beacon of darkness so that the light may pour in? So don't wear shorts. And if you're gonna, I'll go even further. I'll take this question one step further. If you're a woman and you're thinking about wearing the cropped pants that end somewhere between the ankle, not the pedal pushers, not the clam diggers, not the culottes, and not the gauchos, but the fucking cropped pants. And the women know exactly what I'm talking about here. Drew Carey used to wear them when he was overweight. He would wear the fucking cargo pants that had the pockets on the side and they were cropped there. And I was like, dude, dude, dude. Mm. What you're doing is emphasizing the area between the ground and where the cropping starts. And then what happens above that is a geographic topographical map of the Andes. If you're a woman and you're thinking about wearing the crop pants, think again. And then don't. <laughs> Unless you're a fucking emaciated stick person, in which case wear them and then wonder why you're wearing them when you could be wearing skinny jeans. <laughs> but I want to be comfortable. Women have a thousand ways to be comfortable. You can wear a skirt and shit like that. Um, or, 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 or even better, a really long dress that goes to the ground in the summertime and skitter around. You know, the kind that have a little top of the thing where. Um, but for men, no. 
Uh, if you saw these three guys crossing the street today, Philip, your answer to this would be categorically men. Not only should men never wear shorts, men should never be allowed out. <laughs> they asked me, Hank, why do Why do you roll smoke? Uh... That, I had five chances to end. You've been the nicest crowd in the world. You are, in fact, the smartest uh, um, crowd in the world. And this has been the Smartest Man in the World podcast. Thank you very much for coming. We'll be in, uh, I'm going to say on the 20th. We'll be at uh, our podcast hosting on the 13th. Uh, we'll be uh, back here on the 19th at the Barney Livich. And we'll be at the Bell House in New York, uh, at Brooklyn, on October 6th. Thank you very much, and good night, everyone. Peace.